Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Well, uh, I'm pretty excited because we, we get to talk to Giovanni Savaresi on this podcast for the first time. So um, I don't even think we should have like this opening banter. I, I feel like we need to get right to it. No, it's not often no we get opening a new banter? Timbers coach. <laughs> well, we can have a little if you want, but it's not often we get a new Timbers coach d- um, on this podcast. I take that personally. <laughs> you don't you don't want to have our chit chat. This is like our one moment to have chit chat. Okay. Well, Just because you said that we are working chit chat later into the show. Uh, right. But you know, we probably shouldn't keep uh, our listeners waiting. We have just spoken with uh, Giovanni Savarese. We are going to just go ahead and, and drop that in here. We will see you on the other side. It's enjoyable. Here's Gio. It is our, our great pleasure now to welcome into the show for the first time. Uh, the head coach uh, of the Portland Timbers uh, and, and a man who I, I think we could rattle down a number of, of characteristics and qualifications, but we'll just jump right into it. We've got Giovanni Savarese on the podcast this evening. Uh, Gio, you're joining us from Tucson. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you so much uh, for coming. Jamie, you want to lead us off here? Yeah, uh, just to start things off, uh, let, let's get right into it. Um, you guys have been in Tucson now for two days, flew in yesterday and, and trained both days. How has that gone so far? How have the first two days of training been uh, with the team? It's been very positive. I mean, uh, the place here is fantastic uh, for teams to be able to do preseason. The facility, the hotel, uh, the weather, um, everything is aligned with uh, the perfect situation for us to be here training. We had two practices already. Um, we did mostly uh, introduction. Uh, guys are coming back from pre- from vacation, so we uh, we're progressing little by little. But uh, the two days the two days have been very positive uh, in training and uh, starting to get to know the guys. Uh, I think is very important. Let's talk a little bit more about training because your teams with the Cosmos were were known essentially universally. You know, when it, when I heard you were going to be taking the job here, I asked around a number of folks. You know, what are sort of the, the characteristics uh, of Geo's teams? And almost universally, they came up, they're tactically flexible. Within games, between games, uh, they'll run out a number of different uh, systems and formations and the like. Uh, so I was wondering, what do you do in training to get your teams to be able to play that way? It's not easy, certainly for players, but you still manage to do it while maintaining sort of a clear understanding of players' roles. How do you do it? Yeah, I think I think first of all, the, the going back to the teams that, that are coaching the Cosmos, uh, we tried to have a continuity in, in a formation, but also there, there were moments in which we had to change, especially last year. We kind of you know, tried every single the, the formation and, and system uh, that, that we had to, and an important part of, in those cases is the how the players adapt. And, and, um, and here right now we have in our mind exactly the way we want to play, the system that we want to play, but the players need to be also uh, in, intelligent enough that we, when we uh, change something uh, in a game or for a game, um, they have to adapt. And I think that the way you are able to accomplish that is by giving you know instructions to the players, uh, give, give them references uh, tactically to always you know, become a little bit more knowledgeable and, and be comfortable and 
and uh, at the moments that you change uh, the the way you play in regards to the system, it's giving the information in in what they need to do in in, in that moment uh, when you make uh, those changes. Um, and that goes with practice also because it's important that the guys um, are uncomfortable sometimes in order for them to think a little bit more. And that way, when they think a little bit more, they find solutions. I think uh, in in a much better way, in, in a, adapt. In, in a much better way uh, when you have to make those changes. You've brought in a lot of young players into the team this offseason while also keeping the bulk of the core from the 2017 team. How do you go about getting players like Jeremy Abobasi, Marco Farfan, Eric Williamson, Foster Langsdorf, uh, the minutes they need to develop in light of the established players in front of them on the depth chart? It's fantastic to have the opportunity to have a good base uh, because uh, the base uh, of the team uh, has been very good. Uh, and not only on the standpoint of soccer, but especially on, in, in the locker room. And that's, uh, that welcomes uh, the new, the young players that are coming in uh, for them to feel more comfortable uh, as well. Uh, and, and for them, it's, it's just adapting very quickly. It's been able to express their qualities and little by little uh, submerge themselves in, in the idea and the philosophy that uh, that we want to have. Um, and everybody's battling to be able to compete and try to stay, first of all, on the team, and then eventually to try to see how they can get uh, minutes in, 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 in games. So it's been very good you know, to start to get to know each, each player. But the one thing that I'm content in these past two practices is the level uh, in which everyone is competing and trying to do well. So I've noticed over the, the last couple of months now that you've made yourself available to, to media in, in South American markets more than previous coaches have. In fact, much, much more than previous coaches have. I don't raise this out of jealousy, although I, I will say I am probably insanely jealous and, and think you should do only my show. But how, how do you think, how, how important, I, I should say, do you think that is for raising the profile of the club in South America? No, I think I think uh, I think uh, I, I see media equally uh, worldwide, and, and for me, you know, we we have to be a, a club that uh, doesn't only stays important, but becomes also uh, widely known. And uh, and the fact that I'm able to, and I have the fortune to be able to speak maybe a few languages, that helps uh, for the interest to be able to speak a little bit more. Um, in, in, in those places that I can speak, you know, uh, the, the different languages. So in the Latin American mar market, um, I, you know, I, I've been known not only because of my coaching, but also as a player, you know, in my, my past years, uh, when I played for the Venezuela national team, I was with ESPN for so many years as well. So I think, you know, uh, that, that, uh, that helps in regards to be able to maybe, um, speak with, um, more diverse, uh, groups, but at the end, it's only to be able to get the club more recognized worldwide. And, and for me, uh, uh, that I think is uh, an important part. Uh, but most importantly is, uh, is uh, the people in Portland and, uh, that have supported the team for so many years. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah, I was wondering, though, do you when, when you know you get a call from an agent or, or, or you call an agent uh, of a player in you know a country like Peru uh, or, or Venezuela in those kinds of places, do you find it easier if you sort of have have a you know sort of a marker on the map if you're in their consciousness uh, to make that connection and, and look to bringing a player into the club? 
No, I think I think the fortune that that I have, you know, uh, as I said, I've been in soccer many many years, and uh, when there's a player presented, you know, uh, of course uh, we have great people in in our club like Ned and especially Gavin that uh, um, are are the the the, the people that are on top of uh, looking at the players uh, doing the scouting. Uh, but um, now with my support in regards to um, getting those phone calls, I, I have a lot of people that I know and, and I can get to people to get to know the player a little bit better. Uh, what, you know, what kind of player he is uh, outside the field. Um, is he somebody that uh, is, has a good reputation? Is someone that is a family person? So I think those details are always very important when you're looking to bring up a, a, a player to a team. And, and, and I think the Portland Timbers have done already a great job because uh, the people... Uh, that are part of this club, the players that are here um, are, are quality people, you know, even before being quality players. Just over two weeks ago, you were introduced as the Timbers head coach. Since then, you've been to the Combine and the draft, returned to Portland to assemble your team, and now headed to Tucson for preseason. What's been the biggest highlight for you uh, in these last two weeks, um, which, you know, I imagine have been a whirlwind so far? No, for me, the best part is uh, it was yesterday. The minute that I got into the field with the players, uh, for me, that's the highlight because it's what I've been waiting for. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, that's the, the, the job that we have to do. That's the main part of, you know, our job and uh, getting to know the players, getting to work with the guys, start, you know. Uh, I see it as, as the fun part because we enjoy it in practice, make them better, uh, start, you know, helping the team grow. And uh, for sure, that's the highlight, you know, part of uh, uh, these past few days that, that I have had. So this may have already happened to you. So bear with me if this hypothetical is a little bit boring. But imagine for a moment that a fan sees you on the street and says, hey, Gio, I love watching soccer and I love following the Timbers, but I want to understand the game on, on sort of a deeper tactical level. I want to go beyond sort of being a fan and get to that next level of understanding. What should I do or watch or read to help grow my understanding of the game? What do you say to that fan? I think, I think first of all, is uh, to start learning uh, the, the, um, that every single player uh, has a role offensively and every single player has a role defensively. Uh, and in, within that, uh, there has to be an idea of uh, the type of soccer that that team wants to play and uh, there's not a, a you know a, a perfect uh, formula. Uh, the important things are the things that are happening within the game. And, and I think uh, when when uh, when you start understanding the the little things of the game that make the, them bigger, you know when you see a defender coming in in the one v one and is able to take the ball away from the winger and comes out playing from the back and support the attack that already should be something that gets you excited, you know? And I think once you start seeing that, uh, then I think uh, the person start being more knowledgeable. So I will say to them, start looking not only at the goal, start looking a little bit at the, the little things that happen in the game that make the game be special. And, um, and, and now the last part that I will say is watch a lot of soccer. Watch a lot of soccer, try to understand it, try not to compare with anything else, but just interpret it you know, for what it is. And, and I think that would be the beginning for people to start understanding better uh, the sport. 
So to finish off here, uh, you know, those are those were all the easy questions. All right. So now is, is coming to the hard part uh, of this podcast. We've got to get to know you a little bit because you are the new guy in town. So we're going to have a little bit of a lightning round. Short questions, short answers. Jamie's going to lead it off. Lead us off. So, <laughs> so uh, to start off, uh, what's the best restaurant you've uh, been to since you came to Portland? Oof. Uh, what I can tell you is what I've been in Piazza Italia, I've been in Andina, in Renata. Um, those are some of the places that I've been, and I have to say they're all good. All good. That, that's a very diplomatic answer. We're going to have to break that habit of you very quickly here. Um, okay. Uh, cats, dogs, other, or none of the above? So, uh, can you repeat that? Cats, dogs, other, or none of the above. What do you prefer as a pet? No, do dog for sure. Okay. Dog for sure. Excellent answer. What, what's the most recent um, album, a musical album that you bought? Oof, I haven't bought an album in a long time, but I, what I can tell you is that I'm a Rush fan. You're a what? A Rush fan. Ah, a Rush fan. Perfect. Oh, I, I bet that that is, that is not one that, that like struck me uh, that, that I would have guessed. So that's a good one. That's a very good one. Okay. What do you prefer watching or having as a coach? Uh, a golazo or a clean sheet? Oof, you put me in the trouble here because I love both. <laughs> so I have to say both. So you want the one zero with a Galasso. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> no, but listen, if you can win a one zero with a tapping goal, uh, I take it too. <laughs> you're such a coach. You're such a coach. Um, so, so I've heard that you play the piano. So I'm wondering what's your favorite, favorite musical work or, or genre to play on the piano? Oof, I'm not as good as people think but definitely I love classical music. A love of classical music. Okay, I got one more, and it's actually from Jared, uh, who submitted this one on Twitter to us. If you had to start a club, so a brand new club, you are the manager, and you can choose any player in the world to start it with, which player would it be? Oh, of course, that, that's an easy one. I mean, who wouldn't pick Messi? Uh, oh, man. I, I, I think you're going to find that's more controversial than you may think. Yeah, I think, I think uh, yes, you can put Ronaldo, you have Neymar. Those, you know, you'll take it in a hard bed. But uh, um, Messi, I think, is a special player. But, uh, you know, um, I think uh, all those players are, you know, are amazing players. You're going to be in good shape anyway you go. Uh, I only have one more point, and, it, and it's sort of a point that I think from your introductory press conference that, that I want to clean up. And, and it's because, so my family has lived in Oregon for five generations since the early or since the late 1800s. Um, and I just wanted to say, Gio, if you want to carry an umbrella, you carry an umbrella. There, 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 there's no <laughs> litmus test about the umbrella here in Oregon. You do you, man. Okay. That's good to hear. That's good to hear because I was uh, willing to get wet in order not to get the umbrella. That way I can be part of uh, uh, the Portland, uh, you know, community. But now that you allow me and you say that it's a possibility, that is good. Definitely that helps. Absolutely. <laughs> go crazy. Keep that hair dry. Um, okay. Well, we're going to let you go. I know you have uh, many, many things to attend to down in Tucson. We very much appreciate you taking the time uh, this evening and, and very much look forward to having you back. No, it's been a pleasure. And I'm uh, looking forward to speaking to you guys uh, in the future. Once again, a huge thanks to Gio for taking the time down in Tucson to, uh, to call in and talk to us. 
what did you think? What were your, some of your takeaways from, from, from the interview, Jamie? Well, uh, it's definitely very different talking to him than uh, Caleb Porter. Um, we, I think we were just joking about this after the interview, but uh, you can't just ask one or two questions and have him go on for um, 20, 30 minutes. So that'll be a different experience um, just from a not super important standpoint. But in terms of what he said, I, I think one of the things that stood out to me is he implied that players are competing for spots right now. And it'll be interesting to see. I, we've already seen that a player like Chance Myers, who we assumed was not going to be on the roster this year, is in preceding training camp uh, from the pictures that the Timbers posted online. I think we may have seen Renico Clark in one of those pictures, but we're going to have to get confirmation on that when, when I get down to Tucson in a few days. Um, but it, it's interesting. It seems like he might be bringing in a, a number of players, uh, at least a few, that are, are legitimately competing for spots. And it sounds like He's been pretty clear all along that players have to earn their playing time, and that's a really big thing for him, and, and earn their spots and then earn their playing time. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how exactly that translates into preseason and, and even into players getting minutes later this year. Renzo Sombrano, I think you would have to put in that same conversation. Uh, a guy that played for T2 toward the end of last year uh, as a central midfielder, showed pretty well. Uh, certainly somebody we expect to be in camp uh, again this year, and, and you've got to think is getting a look. But yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is sort of the, the thing the Timbers have traditionally done uh, over the course of at least the, the first week or two or so uh, of, of training camp is bring these guys in. And, and, you know, if you have an extra roster spot or two, which it wouldn't surprise me if the Timbers, even with their planned acquisitions, have an extra roster spot or two, let them fight it out and see if somebody lays claim to one of those. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I think you, you heard Gio uh, speak directly to that. Uh, the big thing, and I was like so flabbergasted at the moment. I'm not flabbergasted. That's not the right word. But it was like one of those like, I didn't expect that answer does not compute. He's a big Rush fan. That's yeah. something else. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, I was thinking, you could have given me, you know, a hundred different answers there. And I would have been like, un, un, like, fatushed. And, and like, I was just, yeah, cat got my tongue uh, when he said Rush. So that was very impressive. Uh, nonetheless, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it, it is what you hope to hear, uh, on the merits back to the merits. It's what you hope to hear from your coach, uh, after a couple of days of, of training camp, uh, to be sure. I think, you know, going to that, uh, the, we've talked about this before. I think we're going to keep talking about it probably throughout the course of the year that finding ways to get younger players minutes while also keeping, I mean, look, the Timbers right now have 10 of 11 returning starters. Uh, so you've got this established core, by the way, that's 10 of 11 returning starters from a Western conference team, uh, you know, from a Western conference winning team that won the Western conference in the regular season. Uh, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be something that he's going to have to work to, to work with. And, and I think you heard sort of the beginning of that battle, uh, of the, of these young guys trying to step in and, and take some minutes off of guys that have proven they, they deserve to be playing, uh, major minutes in MLS. So, uh, those are going to be fun to, to to watch as the season goes along. Uh, it was fun to chat with him uh, about it uh, right now. And and I also, I, I think we asked that last question of Caleb a few years ago, uh, and it was fun. This was also fun uh, when he was in, in talking about uh, the, sort of what to watch for uh, if you're trying to, to sort of get to the next level of soccer understanding. And I just loved his anecdote. It was like, you have a fullback in a 1v1. Does he win it and then like launch into the attack? Uh, that kind of, that kind of stuff. I mean, that is the kind of stuff that that probably happens, you know, six, eight, ten times a game uh, that coaches are watching, uh, and you know, 
people, even me, uh, are, are not necessarily always as diligent in watching it as, as we should be. So, uh, even me, uh, but people, including me, <laughs> uh, are, are not as, as diligent in watching it as they should be. So yeah, I, you know, overall a lot of fun looking forward very much to, to, to getting to know Gio, uh, and, and having him on the show, uh, once again. So big thanks to him for the, taking the time. And now we have show to talk about. Uh, we actually have a lot to talk about this week. The pace of news has not slowed at all since Jamie Goldberg's boring week last week. Uh, <laughs> let's start out here. And this was very much a piece of news that we talked more about uh, last week. There's just one bit that I that I want to hit again. The Timbers officially have signed Andy Pello. He is a Timber, uh, at least for this year. He was brought in on a loan with an option to purchase that was the only thing that was really surprising about that uh, about that announcement. What do we know uh, about that loan with an option to purchase? What do you think the ramifications of that are vis-a-vis a, a regular transfer? Yeah, I, I think, honestly, this is just uh, something that the Timbers probably thought made more sense in terms of the cap hit. It's a way to spread it out and, and it, it, use a different mechanism to uh, make it a feasible transfer for them. So. Um, from, from that perspective, I, I don't think this changes anything. I, I think it's still, I don't think this means that they value him any less. I, I think it's more so that it, this was what made sense, uh, for the Timbers in, in terms of working around the, the cap and, and best, um, using their allocation money. You know, I, I think that's exactly right. And the way that we sort of got a hint of this, and this is our, this is Sam Stayskull's second absentee appearance on the show in, in, in as many weeks. Uh, and, and he had a, a, an article with Gavin shortly after the signing uh, of an interview with Gavin th- that had a number of points. But one of the things Gavin said uh, in that article was that there may be some sort of mechanisms that basically trigger that option to purchase uh, that Gavin suggested were easily achievable. That makes me think this is exactly what you said, basically a, a, a mechanism to make the salary cap stuff work right. Uh, but that also... Essentially, this is a transfer by another name uh, and, and that the loan with an option to purchase uh, is probably not much of, you know, a an option in the sort of layman sense of the word, as though the Timbers have the option to purchase or not, as much as it is an option in sort of the legal sense of the word, uh, which is just an, an, an option to purchase. Uh, and, and that apparently it has an automatic trigger to it. So, yeah, I think you can basically think of this as a transfer by another name. The Timbers uh, have Andy Polo for the foreseeable future. You know, most often when they bring in a young player, it's for at least a three or four year uh, period of time. And so uh, I think it's probably pretty safe uh, to think of it uh, as about that. He is not uh, reported to camp yet. That was anticipated. It sounds like they're just still in the visa process, but that he will be there soon. The Timbers. They traded $100,000 in targeted allocation money, $100,000 in general allocation money, an international roster spot, and a 2018 second round draft pick to DC United in exchange for the homegrown rights to Eric Williamson, Jamie Goldberg. What do you think about this deal? What do you think about Williamson? And what do you think about the return? Is it a fair trade? Yeah. I mean, I think this implies that the Timbers valued Williamson as a player that would go in the top few fit picks in the draft. And I think that is accurate based on um, kind of what, what has been reported about him. Uh, he obviously wasn't eligible for the draft uh, coming through DC United's academy, but I, I think this just just an indication of where the Timbers value him and, and see him developing over time. Um, this is a guy that it sounds like DC United couldn't come to a deal to to get him to sign, so they had incentive to try to trade him, and I think this makes a lot of sense. It's 
essentially a way for the Timbers to trade into the top of the draft without trading into the top of the draft. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, we talked a lot. I mean, actually, we may not have talked about this at all, which would have been appropriate, that the Timbers didn't even have a draft pick in, in the first round or the second round uh, of the Super Draft. They now walked away essentially a week after the draft uh, with two, not one, but two guys that would have gone in those first or certainly second rounds uh, in Foster Langsworth and Eric Williamson. And I, yeah, I mean, everything I've seen suggests that Williamson would have been uh, a high draft pick. I wouldn't venture a guess as to exactly where he would have fallen uh, because people who do that and lots of people do it every year generally don't come away with looking super duper smart. Uh, but he nonetheless would have been a high draft pick. And the reason is obvious. Look, he was a, a youth. He, he's a, an American youth international played for the U twenties at the world cup started pretty consistently and very consistently uh, for the U 20 scored a goal, had a couple assists, really sort of turned into that midfield cup when, you know, one of those midfield cogs uh, for Tab Ramos's team that advanced to the quarterfinal of the U 20 world cup. Uh, he, he had a, a not a, 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 a hugely prolific career at, at Maryland, but a, a solid career uh, at the university of Maryland. But really I think what caught folks eye uh, is, is his performance with, with the national team, with the youth national team uh, in the run up to and at the world cup. And so, you know, when you've got a guy like that, that does show well in, in, in that context, that does show well uh, at something uh, like a youth world cup. Yeah. They're going to be pretty highly sought after. Uh, and the Timbers, Paid for that. I, I don't think you look at that return and say, oh boy, the Timbers really got one over on DC United. DC United got good value uh, in return for what it looks to be a pretty darn good prospect. But for the Timbers, look, I mean, I just now look at this team and you, and you see a Bobasi, uh, you see Marco Farfan, you see Williamson, you, you see uh, even somebody like Victor Arboleda, who just turned 21 years old. This is way, way, way more young talent than the Timbers have ever had at any point in their MLS existence and, and realistically uh, than the Timbers have ever had in their entire history. Uh, and it's going to be interesting now to see whether they can take that from being young talent with potential to being big time contributors uh, over the course of the, of the next few years. It, it, if anything has popped out to me about this off season, it is now that, that it is as much about 2019 and beyond as it is about 2018. The Timbers are just loading up on young players, whether that's Julio, Julio Cascante at 24 years old, Andy Polo at 23, the guys uh, we just mentioned, Williamson uh, at, at, at 20. Uh, you know, I mean, even there's there's a report today we're going to talk about Christian Paredes, uh, a 19-year-old box-to-box midfielder currently playing for Club America uh, that, that, they, that the Timbers are reported to be kicking around and trying and, and, and seeing if they can acquire. This is an off-season about youth. It's an off-season about getting younger, uh, and, is, and especially getting younger in spots where they think they'll be able to get minutes but may not even necessarily start. Uh, and that is, yeah, that, that, that's just what this is. That's just another move the Timbers have made uh, toward that end to see if they can set up the succession plans that they need to set up uh, going into the future. So there you go. Apropos of that... Uh, the Timbers announced today that they have re-signed Bill Tuiloma, who played for T2 last year, the New Zealand international. Uh, he is himself, <laughs> he is himself 20, 21 or 22 years old. Now I'm having a senior moment because I am far older than 21 or 22. Uh, 21 or 22 years old, center back, defensive midfielder, played for T2 last year. Uh, but they also signed Andres Flores that you reported uh, on Tuesday. They've made it formal today. Uh, and then also Modu J- uh, Jadama, who is a center back, 
that previously played for the Tulsa Roughnecks, uh, but came uh, to Tulsa by way of Colo Colo uh, down in Chile. He is Gambian, but grew up in the United States, grew up in the Atlanta area. Uh, Flores is sort of a, I think it's fair to say, a central midfield utility tool. Uh, the Timbers basically see him as being a guy that can play as a six, that can play as an eight, that can play as a 10. Uh, he played largely as a 10 for the New York Cosmos. If that rings a bell, it's because, oh yeah, that's where Geo came from. Uh, and, and, and the Timbers think he can play in any of those spots, uh, as either a playmaker or sort of a box to box guy. So what I want to know from you, Jamie, is who out of that group, Tuiloma, Flores, or Jadama, who plays the most first team minutes in 2018? I almost said 2017 because I don't know what year it is. It's the end of January. (laughs) I should probably figure that out. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot. I'm a little concerned that I'm going to write an article and the years are just going to be completely off. But uh, out of those guys, uh, it's interesting. Um, We didn't know for sure that whether Tuliloma was coming back or not. It was expected, but it hadn't been announced. And you were discussing that on Twitter. Uh, And Merritt Paulson jumped in and said, of course he's coming back. He's going to play a significant role this year. So it will be interesting to see what role the Timbers expect him to play and how much playing time he could actually get either at center back or in central midfield this year. However, I am going to go with Flores. I I think the fact that Gio knows him, it gives him a a little bit of a leg up coming in. And I I think, like you said, he's going to be a utility guy. He's a guy that can sub in if uh, Davi Guzman's out uh, or Diego Char is out or or if there's a reason that there's a... Diego Valeri or, or something else is going on more on the attacking side. I think it's probably a little more likely we'll see him uh, maybe in central midfield with the Timbers options at the 10, but we'll see. Uh, so I, I think he's a guy that just can play as a utility guy in the midfield. And that's someone who I think is, is going to pop in and out of the lineup uh, as needed because we, we know throughout the year though there will be reasons and there will be guys missing um, where I, I think those opportunities will come up. I think that's right. So I'm going to choose something that I think is going to be wrong just for the sake of saying it. Uh, and I think Bill, Bill Tuiloma is going to have a real shot at seeing, uh, you know, not a ton of starts, uh, but some st- spot starts this year, especially if he comes in and has a good camp. I think he is a guy that you could see step up and be safe fourth on the, the center back uh, sort of depth chart. And you're, if you're fourth on the center back depth chart, you know, there's a decent chance you're going to see five or six or seven starts, which I think is more than we'll see from somebody like Flores. I don't actually think that, uh, which could be more <laughs> than we'll see from somebody like Flores uh, getting in, in in sort of spot minutes here here and there. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think this is a big opportunity season for Tuiloma. I, I think he showed well uh, with T2. He scored three goals in, 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 I think, just 11 or 12 appearances. Uh, so he was a, a threat on set pieces. Uh, I think he generally showed well both in central midfield and in central defense uh, when he played. And, and that was on a team that, and sort of in the context of a team that frankly struggled quite a bit, uh, to put it extremely lightly. Uh, and, and so the fact that he was able to sort of step into that situation and, and perform reasonably well, I, I, I think is notable and, and gives me a little bit of hope uh, heading into the season. So uh, I would, you know, if I was actually putting a bet down here, uh, I would say Flores as well. But uh, I'm going to give Tuiloma a, a, a shout as well. Um, okay. Christian Paredes, uh, Christian Paredes, excuse me. Uh, he is, as I noted, a box to box midfielder. He's 19 years old playing down at Club America. He is a, a, a Paraguayan player, uh, who previously played for uh, Sol de, uh, de America down in, in Paraguay. Uh, 
Uh, we got a report this morning from uh, Pablo Pedrero down in Paraguay who, that suggested, uh, and, and in fact strongly suggested, that the Timbers were uh, looking to acquire Paredes from uh, Club America. He has struggled uh, and, and generally failed to get into the first team uh, for Miguel Herrera uh, d- down with Club America, but has played in, in a couple Copa MX games, actually scored uh, in, in, in his first Copa MX game for uh, for Club America. But... Yeah, where do you think we stand on this report? Do you think this is so? I mean, if, if you were to say the stove is cold, warm, hot, or like piping, where would you put it? I, I think this. I think it's uh, the stove's hot. I, I think it, it's very likely the Timbers are interested interested in him. Um, Savarese indicated that the Timbers were close on, on possibly signing a defensive midfielder a young defensive midfielder or at least had some options and, and were honing in on uh, one potential one. At the same time, the Timbers have talked about how they want to bring in a young defensive midfielder. And I, I think he fits the bill. So yeah, this makes sense to me. I believe the interest is there. I, I think it's important to remember that even the reports are saying it, it's interest there. There's no deal in place at this point. So even if it is a guy that the Timbers are targeting, even if it's a guy that Timbers are, would be happy to get it. And that would be their TAM level defensive midfielder that they've talked about acquiring. It doesn't mean a deal is going to come through and they're, they're going to find an option and come to an agreement that makes sense for them. So I believe that the interest is there. I think it's still up in the air. Uh, what this will ultimately lead to. I'm going to quibble just, just a teeny, 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 tiny bit. Not with your rating of it uh, as hot because I, I generally agree. Uh, one of the reports from uh, Pedro though, down in, uh, Paraguay today did indicate uh, from a, a a club official at uh, at Sol de America that uh, did indicate that that there was some sort of offer out that the Timbers were looking to uh, acquire him uh, on a loan with an option to buy, uh, and if that's the case, I, I think it's a little bit more than interest. Uh, but I mean, honestly, I'm just nitpicking at this point uh, because otherwise, I generally agree with everything you said. I mean, he he fits exactly the bill uh, of sort of the profile of what we expected the Timbers to go after. It sounds like we now have credible reports from credible people in uh, in a position to know because it sounds like Sol de America owns a little bit uh, or has some sort of interest in uh, in Paredes yet. Uh, you know, for, from somebody that with a reason to know that this may be happening and, and they're saying, yeah, there is this thing that is, you know, going on. We don't know if it's ultimately going to pan out, but... Yeah, everything here sounds like it is a real thing. So keep an eye uh, on this over the course of the next week or two. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we're having another podcast in a couple of weeks saying, hey, new Timbers box to box midfielder, uh, Christian Paredes is here. We got a few questions. Let's hit them. Uh, let's start off with Dave. Uh, the Timbers have added players to fill all previous needs, assuming, of course, they end up landing Paredes, except a backup striker. Are we now to assume that Jeremy Obobese will have that job? Jamie? No, I don't think we are. They they have said that they are going to bring in another attacking player. They've indicated that there's going to be an, another uh, another striker, so um, another TAM-level striker, really. Uh, so I'm expecting there to be another signing out there. I, I do think this is going to be a really interesting balance to see how it goes this year. Assuming they do bring in another striker and potentially someone who... Uh, is significantly more experienced or or at least um, if, if it is a TAM level player is going to be someone 
that they see a lot of potential in. It's going to be a balancing act that they're going to have to work through, finding ways to get above a C minutes while also having a backup striker and also having Audi there too. So this might be something that I, I'm one of the things I'm most interested in uh, in the offseason right now to see what they do at that position, see if they sign the striker that they indicated that they have had plans to sign and what that's going to mean for Bobasi and this team moving forward. Yeah, I definitely expect that they will sign at least a uh, TAM level striker and, and, and that that person would come uh, in and sort of, you know, <clears throat> have the inside track, so to speak, uh, at that number two striker position. I don't think, though, it's a closing of the door to Obobese. I, I I think the Timbers do recognize that he he performed fairly well uh, in his limited minutes in, in, in 2017 and, and certainly see him as uh, a prospect for the future. He is only 20 years old, uh, so that certainly also uh, also helps. But uh, I don't think this is by any means a closing of the door on Obobese. A Frankly, if he performs well, there's no reason for the Timbers not to get him on the field. Uh, and, and so while I, I expect that there will be somebody else for that you know, backup striker job. Uh, I would be surprised if we don't see a, a decent chunk of Jeremy Obosi on the, on the field for the Timbers this year, as long as, you know, he comes in and he has a good camp and, and sort of makes the progressions that you would hope uh, he would be making. Um, Andrew wants to know why have the Timbers acquired so many midfielders this off season? Was the depth there really lacking or is this kind of a see what sticks approach? Jamie. I, I mean, I don't think, they've acquired so many midfielders. I, I think in the case of someone like Williamson, you, you look at that and, and you think that was an option that kind of was presented to them and, and made a lot of sense. And that's someone that they might be able to develop for the future. I, I think some of their signings this off season have clearly been players that they see more to develop for the future and see a lot of talent in, but not aren't necessarily going to play a big role this year. I, I think, I, I think they no, it's not that they saw that as a position without a lack of depth, but there, there are areas that they need to get more depth. When you, when you look specifically at central midfield, Davi Guzman's going to the world cup this year, uh, most likely. And the Diego Char is in his thirties and it, they need to deal with that succession plan. And so that's why they're trying to bring in a young Tam level defensive midfielder. They bring in a guy like Flores who serves more as a utility guy throughout the midfield. I, I do think some of the moves this offseason are raising a little bit of questions about whether all the players that are returning from last year that remain on the roster are, are going to stick with the team. It, the moves have raised questions for me about what role Lawrence Olm is going to play in this mix and whether he is going to be on this team at, at the start of 2018. Uh, but but I think a lot of the moves do make sense. Uh, they, going to the offseason, defensive midfield was a position that we expected the Timbers to get a little bit more depth in. Obviously they had to get a winger and I think getting a utility guy that can play attacking mid as well is useful for them. You know, I, I would have like yesterday would have been like, no, they need Olin. Uh, they definitely need Olin because he needs to, to fill out the depth chart at center back at least. Uh, and I, and you know, just further help uh, in defensive midfielder in defensive midfield. And then they went and signed to Jadana today. And so, uh, you know, that could very well make that a lot more plausible. We'll see. Uh, who knows uh, what what will ultimately happen. But yeah, I mean, you, you look at something like that and say, well, you know, if there was a deal there, uh, maybe there was a deal there. Similarly, if the Timbers, for example, were to were to win the Justin Miram sweepstakes, which we haven't even talked about uh, this week. We talked about it last week. But if they were to, to win the, the Justin Miram sweepstakes, we've heard nothing to suggest they're out. Uh, so until they're out, they're in, right? Uh, and, and if they were to do that, then you would, 
kind of wonder the same thing about Dairon Espria. Would it make more sense then to move Espria uh, and to get that value out of him, out of him rather than have him be what would basically be the seventh attacker uh, on, on, on this team? And so there are definitely those kinds of questions that we will see pop up, uh, to be sure. But for me, the, the answer to Andrew's question is just succession, succession, succession. Uh, I mean, look, you, you don't need to be a genius to look around the Timbers midfield and say, yeah, there's some guys that are getting a little bit up there. Uh, Diego Valeri is going to be in his age 32 season uh, this year. Uh, Diego Chara, same age. Uh, you even look at Sebastian Blanco. He's entering his age 30 season. It's not like those guys, you're you know sticking a fork in those guys by any means. But if you want to... to think of the kinds of guys that you want to have behind those players. They are young players. They're, they're players that maybe you look at a Christian Paredes and say, Hey, look, we want to have you for two years down the road for a year down the road when Chara no longer is sort of the dominant midfield force that he has been. Uh, you know, maybe you look uh, at, at an Eric Williamson uh, and, and, and say a similar kind of thing, or you say, say that with respect to Sebastian Blanco uh, and, and, and Williamson, or maybe you say that with respect uh, to somebody uh, to, to somebody like a Victor Arboleda. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that you're looking at. Frankly, it's the same deal with, with Jeremy Obobese. And so that is, I, I think, if you see a little bit of a glut of, you know, uh, of midfielders coming in, it's because they're bringing young guys in and they want to start lining up these succession plans so that they get to a point when they do have some guys aging out that they're not trying to run around and, and, and desperately overpay because they know they need to immediately bring in a, a starter at three, four, five positions in a, in, a, in a single year. You can remake teams quickly, but only at a limited number of positions. It is hard to do it uh, comprehensively in a single season. Frankly, it's still kind of a miracle that the Timbers were able to do so in 2013. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, when, and even when you look back at that 2013 roster, you'll see a, a more, and this always surprises me when I look back at, at starting lineups in 2013, there are more 2012 holdovers in those games than I remember. Uh, and, and so I think that's the point of what the Timbers are doing now. Try to get succession in the door. So your replacements for at least some of those guys, if not all of those guys, because frankly, there's nobody on the roster that's going to do what Diego Valeri does, right? Uh, four years down the road, uh, four years from now, there, whoever, whatever role Valeri is filling right now, somebody else that's not on the roster will be filling. But you do want to have some of those uh, spots that you can fill from within. And that's what's going on uh, with this offseason. Richard wants to know oh oh yes this is our chit chat uh moment richard wants to know he he says he saw the latest version of my roster spread i I tweet out once in a while sort of like this roster spreadsheet that breaks down the roster in like three different ways and it's nerdy but that's not a shock to anybody listening to this show uh and and richard was wondering after after seeing that roster spreadsheet when is baseball back and does chris need another hobby when it's not Jamie, what, what do you think? Do I need to like find something else to occupy my mind? Uh, well, March 29th, and I'm excited for baseball too. That, that's but true. Yes. Are, are your Giants going to be terrible again this year? No, they. Are, that, that, <laughs> they that's got that's it. That's it. That's a little touchy, Jamie. They got touchy, Longoria. They, 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 they've made some pretty big signings. Long, They're not Longoria's kind of old, dude. Longoria's kind of yeah, old. Yeah, well, so is McCutcheon a bit, yeah, but uh, that's very they true. still are playing to win now more than win later based on those signings. So we'll see. Yes. Yes. Um, playing to win now and possibly <laughs> not succeeding at that. Uh, the Cubs looking pretty good. Closing in maybe perhaps this week on you, Darvish. Uh, the consensus <laughs> top 
uh, sort of cream of the crop of, of the pitching for free agent market, uh, that would be very interesting. And I would be very pleased to see that accomplished as long as they get him on a decent contract. Okay, that was that was our baseball chit chat. <laughs> and that was really, I, I mean, if you have complaints about that, Richard Farley, it's really fault. yeah, it, it's Richard Farley's <laughs> fault. Uh, you know where to find him. Go punish him, not us. Jennifer wants to know, with the Timbers and Thorns trading away sentimental favorites, is this a sign that the teams are serious about getting younger and pushing for greater success? What do you think about Jennifer's premise there? Yeah, I, I, I think... I, I think when you look at the thorns there, there was a lot going on there with trading Allie long. That wasn't just trading away a sentimental fl- favorite because she was getting up there in age. It, it has to do with long wanting to get playing time and having being in position where whatever the reason is, she lost her starting spot last year and it didn't look like this was going to be the best option for her. Um, I, I do think on both sides, the Timbers and Thorns are trying to get younger and are trying to build towards the future. I think that's very clear with what we've talked about with the Timbers today, that they're looking at succession plans for, for different positions. Um, I, with the case in Nagby, I don't necessarily think it was a, an idea of necessarily getting younger versus, versus kind of just seeing um, this is an option where Nagby was interested in going somewhere else. They could get good money for him, a good deal, and it would allow them to build the roster in a way that they thought they'd overall be better uh, and successful this year and moving forward. But I do think both teams are building towards the future. And when it comes down to it, sentimental favorites are going to get older. And at some point, uh, those players are either going to retire or they're going to move on to other teams. And the clubs are going to have to start thinking about their succession plans and bringing in younger players that they think over time can fill those roles. Here's, here's the, I think, important nugget of truth within Jennifer's premise there. Uh, and, it, and it's that, look, you don't want your, your general manager, you don't want your manager, you don't want your technical director to just be a fan. Because as a fan, I, it, it, is, it is sort of hard to make these objective decisions, right? Uh, it, it's, I, for example, I will miss watching Darlington Nagby. You don't want your general manager making decisions based on that. I will miss watching Allie Long. She was a tremendous thorn that did outstanding things for the for the club. But that's not what you want your general manager. That's not what you want your manager making decisions based on. You want your general manager and manager making decisions based on what's right for the club now. Uh, when can we? How how can we sort of maximize value for these kinds of folks? Uh, and and how can we make the team better? And that doesn't always include the kinds of things that you think about and, and that you get attached to as a fan. And so uh, I, I agree the timber, the timbers and thorns have both traded away sort of fan and sentimental favorites over the course of the off season. And I think there's a credible case to be made in both instances that it'll make both teams better. We don't know if it will. Uh, we don't know how, how Caitlin Ford is going to do when she, she gets to town for the thorns. We don't know uh, how Andy Polo is going to do when he gets to town uh, for the timbers. We don't know how they're going to de- deploy those other, other resources, but yeah, I think there's a credible case to be made at this point that, that it may be for the best in the end. And that's not to say uh, that you should do that with every player. And that's not to say that every single player is indispensable. Even from a purely general manager perspective, you would have to say that somebody like Diego Valeri is indispensable right now, right? There is the, it is hard to conceive of an offer that, that even a perfectly rational timber, uh, even a per- perfectly rational general manager would accept for Valeri because he means so much to the team and he means so much to the club uh, th- that he is a very, very core central player. 
I think you could say the exact same thing about people like Christine Sinclair and Tobin Heath on the Thorns. I don't think there's an offer uh, that the Thorns, that Mark Parsons and Gavin Wilkinson would say yes to for those players, even if you could make it sort of a logical on-field case uh, that, 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 an, that an offer could come along that, that would be good for them. Just because those players are so central, uh, so core to the team, that doing so would create on-field ramifications uh, and, and have unintended consequences. So it, I, I entirely agree with, and, and I think we probably don't talk enough about that premise in Je- Jennifer's question that, yeah, you need, uh, in many, many instances, you need to have a, a general manager and a manager who are making decisions based not on the sentimentality, because as fans, we should be having sentimental connections to the players. That's part of what makes it fun, but that's not always part of what helps the club in the future. That question I intentionally put there because it's an excellent segue into Thorns. Uh, the Thorns had their draft uh, the, this last week. It was Thursday before the MLS Super Draft, uh, and the Thorns had three selections from that draft. At number eight, they took Sandra Yu out of Notre Dame. At number nine, they took Gabby Sila out of the University of Florida. We're gonna the, These two players are, actually have some similarities, so let's talk about them together. Uh, Siler just had knee surgery to repair an injured LCL. She was, by all indications, a higher-valued prospect uh, than the number nine draft selection suggests, but that LCL surgery probably is what uh, caused her to drop. The Thorns were all too happy uh, to take her at that ninth spot. What do you think about these two? How do you expect them to integrate into the team this year? Yeah, I, I think that both of those picks, uh, Mark Parsons specifically said his goal in the draft was to go after versatile players versatile players and you look at both of those picks are there midfielders that can play in multiple positions I, I mean Mark said both of them he could see playing basically anywhere in the midfield and maybe even at the fullback position I, I think use a little bit more of an attacking player I, he mentioned he she could play on the front line as well I, I think uh, Seller is a little bit uh, more defensive but but in terms of their college production they both scored goals and added assists so I, I think he sees these as players that he can kind of mold into the Thorn system and see where they might fit um, in the lineup where it is at now, but, but also looking towards the future. I don't think the Thorns had any needs they need to dress immediately through the draft. Uh, so they went in, I think, to get the talent they could uh, at the picks they had and try to get players that could play in multiple positions and they could use kind of as utility depth uh, throughout the year as players are missing for international duty or if one of these players just is proving themselves that they deserve to spawn the lineup, uh, a player that they don't necessarily need to slot into a specific role, but but can kind of try in different positions. I'm going to nitpick a little bit with one thing that, that you said. And by that, I mean, I'm probably going to read too much into something you said and then slay the straw man that I just built for myself. <laughs> uh, and that is, I think the Thorns did have some needs in this draft. I, I, I think when you look at... The overall departures from Nadia Nadine to Dagny Brynja's daughter uh, to Amandine Henri. And you sort of look at the the players returning. The Thorns lost a lot of depth uh, over, over the course of this year. I mean, you look at somebody losing somebody just like Dagny. Uh, Ali Long cer- certainly going a, 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 as well. Losing somebody like Dagny, that was a vital piece off the bench that the Thorns could put into a number of spots, uh, both in the, in the attack at D-mid, even out of fullback or wingback they did a time or two. Uh, and, and, and that's important. And I think pre-draft, when you looked at the Thorns roster, it wasn't that hard to put together, frankly, an incredibly exciting starting 11 
But when you looked at the bench options, it was pretty short. Uh, there were there were not a ton of options for the Thorns coming off the bench, and, and there were not a ton of options at various positions. And so I think getting sort of the a couple multi-tools in, in Siler and you is really going to be key uh, for the Thorns because that can be a big part of your bench now. If you've got somebody uh, like a Siler who you can put in at multiple central midfield positions, you who you can put in at multiple attacking positions, uh, as Mark mentioned, maybe even at a fullback or a wingback spot. Uh, that's really vital because you get more than just two players worth out of having those two players on, on, on that bench. And so I, I do think the Thorns had a need. I thought it was to reinforce their bench. And I think they did a, did a pretty good job based on how these, you know, the sort of the, the, the pre-draft workup in finding a couple players that could fill an outsized role on the bench. Are you going to say I'm nitpicking and just slate a straw man? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think I was pointing more towards positional needs. I don't think they were going to the draft yeah, specifically, fair. Uh, trying to address one position through the draft. I think if they felt that they really needed to fix one position, they'd most likely be going at it a different way anyways. And I don't necessarily think at this point their roster is complete. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see more moves uh, happen any in the future um, before the season. We'll we'll see how uh, that shakes out. But yeah, I, I think what you point to is... is um, is fair. I think what they needed was versatility um, in, in players that are going to largely play more of a depth role. The Thorns also made a third round draft pick. That was Bella Geist, a goalkeeper out of Oregon State University. Uh, she figures to slot in on the team, uh, assuming she makes the team, figures to slot in uh, as the third goalkeeper behind A.D. French and Britt Eckerstrom, of course. Do you agree with that uh, assessment? And how? What, what do you think the chances are that she will make uh, the final roster? Yeah, I, I think that it sounded like this was the player that Nadine Onger wanted Mark to go out and get, and a player they obviously traded into that spot in, in order to get. Uh, she is a player that has worked with Nadine over the last few years. She's been involved uh, in, in the Thorns uh, community, um, even though she's been at Oregon State, Nadine has coached her. So it's a player that I think they is local and they wanted to bring into the team and see how she does and, and develop her over time. I am interested to see what happens with that roster slot because while I, I definitely assume that she's going to be with the club this season, uh, traditionally a third string goalkeeper in the NWSL, which has limited roster spots is someone who is essentially playing as an amateur player or, or just training with the team. It would be an interesting move by the thorns to take up one of those, I think 20 roster slots uh, unless the NWSL is thinking of expanding this year, and we don't know about it yet, with a third-string goalkeeper. Do you think there's any any chance that, 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 that this sort of foreshadows Eckerstrom not returning? No. I, I mean, Mark indicated, and Nadine did as well, that they expect Eckerstrom to return, and they expect guys to be the third-string goalkeeper. So we will have a little bit of a, of a roster question there. Yeah, 20-player rosters are very, very limiting. Obviously, your game day roster is 18, so that doesn't leave, you know, it's not like an MLS roster where you can have 28 up to 30 if you have a couple homegrown players. Uh, and, and so you can certainly afford to easily carry a third goalkeeper. Uh, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see if she becomes a rostered player or if she sort of stays just in the, the orbit of the club uh, as the year goes along. A few questions. Emma wants to know, do you think the Thorns are done dealing or do you think they'll pick up another player or players before the, se the season starts? And if you think they're going to pick up somebody else, not necessarily who, but what position? 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make some moves before before the season. I, I would be interesting, as you said, to see if they kind of pick up more of an attacking replacement um, because both Nadim and Dagny are no longer here. Another depth piece in that position. I, I think that's an area uh, where they could look to build a little bit. Um, and I think they maybe could pick up more depth in the midfield. I, I don't know if they've fully replaced Amandine Henri in a way uh, that's totally satisfying at this point, but um, we'll see. I, I mean, they have some good options in, in central midfield uh, as well. My guess is we basically have the starting lineup set, and I think they are just going to go with that double eight system between uh, Lindsey Horan and Andresina. My guess, though, is that they do have a couple depth uh, pieces to pick up. I would like to see at least one more uh, depth player on the back line, probably somebody that can play either as a center back or a full back would be ideal for the Thorns. Uh, and then I think they can use, frankly, a, a, a backup number nine. Uh, they traded that away in Savannah Jordan in order to get Andre Senia, and, and I'm not sure there is a glaringly obvious sort of replacement on the roster. There are lots of players that can play uh, up top, uh, e- e- even somebody like a Tyler Lucy who who may be back uh, is somebody that, that could play on the top, even if she fits maybe a little bit better as a winger. Uh, so, you know, it's not like that is a, a desperate kind of thing where the Thorns need to do that or they're going to be incomplete on the roster. But those are the, the two places where I'm probably looking to, to think, yes, they could add one or two more players uh, to help round out uh, the game day 18. Michael, how bad is it for NWSL if the breakers fold two months before the start of the season? What can and should be done to help keep that from happening? We've had some reporting on that this week. Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think the NWSL wants to let that happen. I, I think that would be terrible for the league at this point in, in their existence. I, I think they're going to do everything they can to find an ownership group that can maintain the rain, or sorry, not the rain, the breakers. They find an, The rain are doing great. Um, that was, that was a, I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> a senior moment, like I, like I had earlier. It gets, it gets hard when you like get close. I, I, I'm not even sure you're there. Uh, but you get close to 30, man, it is a steep, steep slide. <laughs> um, I think I'm close to there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm 28, so. That's um, not that close. Okay, you have no excuse. <laughs> I have no excuse. Anyways, yeah, no, it, I, I think that they're going to do what they can to find an ownership group that can take over the breakers if that's what they need to do. Things came together fast, obviously, even with uh, Utah taking over Kansas City earlier this offseason. The NWSL has shown that they can sort these things out quickly. Um, but I think it would be very bad for the league at, at this point in time to have a team fold and, and have to play with one uh, fewer team in the regular season. And it would just cause chaos too, is yeah. the other thing. What would you do with all those players? Uh, I mean, there are a lot of obligations that the league has uh, in many different respects to, to the breakers. And so I expect it'll be no holds barred trying to find an ownership group to step in and at least take over the breakers uh, for the year. And if they're not able to do that, I, I mean, I think the most likely course of action would be that, that it would, there would be some sort of league takeover, uh, probably driven by a combination of U.S. soccer and then some of the the wealthier, uh, the, the better funded clubs around the league chipping in to prop up the breakers for at least a year uh, before they can either find another ownership group to keep them in Boston or, or move them to somewhere else. Uh, for a, another ownership group. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Mayor Paulson, Deloy Hansen, and, uh, and a handful of the, of the other owners uh, around MLS, the, or MLS, NWSL, 
See, <laughs> really, really hard once you hit 30 uh, around NWSL. Uh, sort of have to step up to the plate on this one to keep the breakers going because I just don't see how at this late date, you're you're barely two months now uh, before the start of the season. I just don't see how they could, you know, go any other route other, other than having a team in Boston and basically taking over the breakers. Do you think that's reasonable? Yeah, I, I just I just don't see them letting the with all the progress this league has had, I just don't see them letting a team fold. I, I think that is very damaging to the league and it would be a few steps back for a league that has been making incremental steps forward. So I think I agree with you. I think they're going to do everything possible one way or another to sustain the breakers for this season. And, and if that means at the end of the year, they look for a different ownership group in a different location. I, I think that's something with an off season ahead that they would absolutely be able to do. There has been uh, locales that have expressed interest in, in the past of taking on an NWSL team. Uh, I think they'll find a way to prop them up for the season with the new ownership group or at worst case scenario, some sort of uh, league league owned team um, just to get it through this year. And I, I very much think this is sort of the immediate focus of, of NWSL. I know people always want to ask about expansion and sort of ask about what's new, but I think for NWSL, the challenge right now is finding better situations for the clubs that are struggling. Uh, and in that you're talking about the breakers. I mean, you're, you're probably talking about sky blue uh, and you know, there are less now uh, you would have been talking about Kansas city until uh, the, 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 until Deloitte Hanson and, and, and that Utah group uh, Salt Lake group stepped in to, to take that. Now that looks like it's in a much stronger place. That's going to be the, the challenge over the next few years. Can uh, NWSL get these, the, the, these franchises that have struggled to get going and get them in, into more positive places without going through contraction. I think, you know, a, we can, we can always talk about markets in which that may happen, uh, ownership groups in way with which that may happen. And I, and I think that's important. Uh, but I think relocation at this point is probably the more immediate way to strengthening the league over expansion. Do you agree with that in principle? Yeah, I, I absolutely. I, I think that that's what we've been talking about for the last year or so. It, originally, the thought was, when, where are they going to expand to next? But I, I think over the last year or so, that has quickly shifted to what team is going to move next and what ownership group needs to be taken over. And I think that is more important overall. The, the, they remain at the same number of teams, but if they have stronger ownership groups, I mean, look at Utah. They look like a team that's going to have massive support in the first season, and that's a very exciting opportunity for the NWSL there uh, in terms of growing the league. I think it's a lot more important to have teams that maybe aren't doing what the Thorns are doing, although that would be incredible if they could get another team that are doing something like what the Thorns are doing, but are, are doing what you know North, North Carolina is doing or a um, place like that, teams that successfully move to a new ownership group and, and – get the fan support they need and are become more established in their markets. So yeah, I think that has to be uh, the main focus for the league at this point, at least over the next few years. And by the way, I don't regard this as a sign that NWSL is not healthy. I think it's just a sign that NWSL is young. Uh, and frankly, I think this is a much healthier way of doing this than MLS did it. I mean, folks forget that in the early two thousands, just, I mean, basically at the same point in MLS's history, the MLS lost the Tampa Bay Mutiny, lost the Miami Fusion, uh, and, and went through contraction. And frankly, it was looking like MLS was, was on the ropes. I think MLS at that point looks a, looks a lot more on the ropes uh, than NWSL does now. And if they're able to successfully transition these struggling clubs 
into better markets, into better ownership groups without losing teams, without sort of really getting on the ropes as a league, uh, that is very, very promising uh, for the league's future. And so uh, I'm not nearly as doom and gloom uh, about this as, as some people are, because I think this is just basically something that happens uh, to young leagues, uh, that when you start up a league from scratch, you're going to have some clubs that do great, and you're going to have some clubs that really struggle. Uh, and, and if you can get those clubs that, that really struggle to relocate to better situations, uh, that's excellent. And so uh, I'm not particularly worried about this from a long-term perspective with NWSL, but, you know, it obviously does create discomforts like the one right now and not knowing a couple of months before the start of the season whether the Boston Breakers will survive or not. You know what is not going to survive any longer? This episode. <laughs> We're done. Uh, that's the end uh, of the show. Thanks once again to Gio for coming on the show and checking in with us. Uh, yeah, hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the questions. Uh, you can find us every week. We are Soccer Man in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. There are links to do that. Follow the links, yada, yada, yada. Uh, on the other side of the internet from me, that is Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. We appreciate you all uh, and your participation. Uh, enjoy the beginning of the continued beginning, I suppose, uh, of Timbers training camp, along with the various other dramas around the Timbers and Thorns. We'll be back in a week or two's time to talk about all of that. Until then, as always, take care. <laughs>